0: Salamat po, Pastor Henji, Brother Gabe, and the worship team. Thank you to the media team and staff that make this uh, service broadcast possible. And thank you to the Lord who makes all things possible. Amen. Well, you've already received greetings for every time of day, any time of day, wherever you may be, whether you're streaming live with us or watching a recording. And I want you to know that from our perspective, whether you're with us live or you're watching this recording, you're with us in the spirit and you're with us in our hearts, and we thank you for that. We thank you for your partnership, for your fellowship, for your faithfulness. We thank you for your giving. I need hardly remind you as a point of practicality, but I will remind you as a point of worship, my worship unto the Lord, my encouragement of your worship unto the Lord, that we rely upon your giving because it is through you that God resources this ministry. And so thank you for uh, continuing to give as the Lord places it upon your heart. Uh, This is not a ministry, this is not a church that is looking to get rich in the things of the world Uh, for many reasons, but not least of them is we are already rich in the things of the kingdom. So the things of the world have little interest for us, I must tell you frankly. And where the things of the world do grab our attention Where they do grab our vision, we are being led by a Lord who has taught us to reject those kinds of distractions and instead invest into the kingdom. And so at at that point, I I want to remind you, encourage you, and thank you for your giving as the Lord puts it upon your heart. We thank you, members of this church family, for bringing your tithes into the storehouse of the Lord. And I remind you that you can do that via our website at mypcf.org or by simply mailing a check payable to Praise Christian Fellowship to our street address at 2235 Beverly Boulevard, Los Angeles, California, 90057. If you have opportunity to do that after hearing this message, we will be grateful. And may I speak a blessing over your giving right now. Lord, we thank you that you enable us to give, that you provide for us to live, that you ask of us a tithe, that you leave in our hands 90% of what comes in, but that you also encourage us to go beyond the tithe and to give not only to the church, although how grateful we are, but also to give of our lives for you to the world around us. And so, Lord, I also ask your blessing upon these of the flock who are giving their time, helping others, perhaps in helping out those who need transportation in this time or food or just a love gift to a neighbor or a friend or a co-worker or someone that they see on the street or in the steps of life in great need and they feel compelled by you to reach out and offer something. Lord, bring blessing upon that one who's giving of their time to tutor children that are perhaps struggling with online learning as an adaptation to this present modality or those who are giving of other talents, those who are giving of their time to lead in worship, in Bible studies, and prayer meetings. I thank you, Lord, for those who are giving their lives for you in every which way of time, talent, and treasure. And I pray that you would multiply back to them additional resource that they might also flow that added resource out into this world of need. We thank you for providing for PCF, Lord. And we pray that you would continue to keep us strong and steady in the faith, bonded with one another, even though we may not be... This moment physically present together, nevertheless, we recognize that in you, Lord Jesus Christ, we are one body. And so we pray, Lord, that you would keep your body healthy and strong. Not just PCF LA, not just PCF of the Valley, and all the Praise Christian Fellowship network of churches. Not even just the local churches here of Los Angeles, but we lift all of those up. We lift up the denominational family of which we are a member, the International Church of the Four Square Gospel, but not just that denomination. But Lord, every element of the body of Christ all over the world today, we pray you would strengthen your body. You would unite your body, ignite your body with the fire of your spirit. You would send your body out with the ministry of the word, with the fellowship of the saints, with the gospel of good news let us not be downcast, Lord, but looking up, even as our brother Pastor henry just mentioned, Lord, that we would be looking for your return. And so by the Spirit, with the bride, we say, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. But you've said to us that what hastens your return is that we would work in the harvest. So we pray for fruitful harvest of the kingdom, Lord, and that you, Lord of the harvest, would send more workers for the harvest, more fruit in the harvest, and that you, Lord, would return to be pleased with what we, your people, are doing, not by our might, not by our strength, but by and in your spirit. And if you can agree with that, then say amen. Say it loudly. Say it strongly. Amen. Hallelujah. Hey, we're going to take communion today. And so in your home or workplace, or if you've pulled over the a safe place in your car, I I urge you, make sure it's safe. Don't stream and drive at the same time, okay? You might drive into a stream if you do. But wherever you're at, if you have a bit of bread, a cracker, a bit of juice, or wine, something with which you can lay out the Lord's table, then I ask you to do that. We're going to partake of communion at the end of today's message. You may say, well, Pastor, is it really right to do that? When we, as a body of Christ, gather together in one place in our local congregations and partake of communion, we do so to remember the Lord and what he has done for us and to be remembered in him. That is each member of the body being strengthened in that connection. It is something that should be done as a church community and it should be done under the headship that God gives, the, the, the shepherding that God gives of leadership. So it is not something that I am saying we want to become so acclimated to doing on our own and in our own homes that we would ever neglect that. But remember that you and your family are a congregation of God. And if you live alone, nevertheless, where you live as a follower of Jesus is a temple of the Holy Spirit, even your very body. And so you are equipped and qualified to lay out the Lord's table. Do it prayerfully. Do it soberly. Do it not casually i mean in other words i mean don't do it in such a way that you don't realize the significance spiritually of what you're doing but yes as a follower of jesus and as a leader in your home as you may be or in your uh, workplace if it is allowed there you can partake of communion in a holy and sanctified way and what a blessing that is to know that in these days and times when it's difficult for us to be joined together in person But this, I would encourage you to make this a part of your regular practice of living life in the Lord because it is a way to consecrate not only ourselves and our bodies, our families, but our homes, our neighborhood, our cities to the Lord to be remembering Him and to be remembered together, reunited. We need unity in these days. We lack it in so many ways in so many places. Let's find communion in Christ together today so it doesn't have to be fancy and it doesn't have to be perfect it just needs to be something approximating bread and some liquid that can approximate the blood of Christ the body of Christ given for you so fair warning now you may say I don't have anything like that near to me during the time of this message don't be disturbed and don't be alarmed that's fine stay with us in the message will you do that here I'm gonna ask you to repeat something And I'm twisting your arm now, but I'm doing it from afar, so I'm sure it's gentle. But I just want you to say this. I'm going to watch this message to the end. Oh, don't say it if you're not going to do it. Hey, I don't know, so. Don't say it if you're not going to do it. But if you're wavering, say it now. I'm going to invest in this message. Say this. I am going to get everything God has for me out of this message you say that? I'm going to get everything God has for me out of this message. The communion table itself is a message. And the message is this. God so loved every person in the world that he gave up his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the message of communion. That's the message of Christ. That's the story of the gospel. And it is at the heart of today's message. We're in a series on the book of Joshua. We're looking at Joshua chapter 21, and we're going to talk about the land for the Levites. In a message like this, it's possible that someone who may not be deeply familiar with the Old Testament or deeply interested in the Jewish roots of Christianity and the um, The Levitical priesthood and the practices of the tabernacle and temple worship may find it difficult to connect with this. That shouldn't be, and it needn't be for you. Because in this examination of land for the Levites, the Levitical cities that were set apart for the the priestly tribe in ancient Israel, there's a message for you, and it has to do with how much God loves you today. So even if you don't have bread and and juice to partake with us, you have two ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart ready to be open to the Lord, and the Lord will come and commune with you by His Spirit. If you will invest yourself in time in looking at His Word and His ways today. Will you do that? Join me, won't you? Let's pray. Lord God, I ask that you would indeed open our hearts and minds as we open your Word, that your Word would open us to you. Lord, we pray this way every week and it's possible that it just becomes routine. We don't want that, Lord. This is a part of our regular practice, but it's never routine in the rote sense of that word. At least we don't want it to be. We don't want to be just going through motions, Lord. We want you to move in us according to your will to shape us. According to your ways. To change us. To discipline us. To disciple us. To encourage us. To guide us. Lord, we need you. And you know it. And you have said, call on me and I will save you. Ask of me and I will give to you so we're asking friend I'm asking you to say these things out loud once again don't be embarrassed if there's people around you I hope that they're saying it too. they may be more likely to pray what we're about to pray if you pray it out loud so you take that step you be a leader in the environment that you're in and if you're viewing this alone then lead yourself into the things of the Lord will you pray this say it after me pray it and mean it Lord Show me who you are. Say that. Lord, show me who you are. Lord, show me who I am in you. Say that out loud. Lord, show me who I am in you. Lord, correct me where I'm wrong. Be bold. Pray that. Lord, correct me where I'm wrong. Lord, strengthen me where I'm right standing. In you. Lord, strengthen me where I'm right standing in you, where I've, I've got the right goal, where I've got the right prayer. Help me to pray it, Lord. Lord, give me wisdom. When you say that, Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, give me patience. Pray that. Lord, give me patience. Lord, give me hope. Pray that where you are. Lord, give me hope. He wants to give it to you. Ask him for it. You have not because you ask not, says the word. So ask and receive. Lord, make me loving like you. Will you say that? Lord, make me loving like you. Lord, make me hungry for your word. Pray that. Lord, make me hungry for your word. And help me to understand it and apply it. And help me to understand it and apply it. Now lift your hands, won't you? Lift them up. Lift them high. What if something really valuable was pouring down from heaven right now? What if I told you that hundred dollar bills were going to rain down from the sky or the ceiling where you were? Would you lift up your hands? Would you reach out to grab? Something greater than that is pouring down. Something better than that is pouring out. So say this. Believe it. Ask it and receive it. Lord Jesus, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. That the secrets of God withheld from his people by doubt and distrust would be released like a rain, like a flood, like a harvest. And the glory of the Lord would fill the earth. Amen. Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost. They were all gathered together in one place. Worshipping the Lord. And the Lord poured out his spirit. And they began to praise him. In other languages they didn't know. It was the tongues of people from all parts of the world. That were gathered at that time for a festival of the Lord. But elsewhere Paul tells us that there is even beyond that the tongues of angels that God enables his people to pray in. But if we have not love, all of that is meaningless. But the Spirit of the Lord who brings those gifts is the Spirit of love. What I have prayed over and with you in these moments was a word in the spiritual language interpreted for you by the Spirit of the Lord. Some may believe that, some may not. It's not my role to make you believe it, or even necessarily to urge you to believe it. It's my role to say, for as many as will receive, there is a blessing. Pray in the Spirit, church. And if you have not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit or even know what that is, won't you contact us? Let us share with you the scriptures of the Lord that reveal that the fullness of His Spirit is absolutely the inheritance of his people and absolutely vital for the achieving of his mission and the fulfilling of his harvest so why am i talking about all of these things today because it's what we talk about every day it's who we are in him but it's also the legacy of the leadership that god has called us to walk in as his people do you know If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're also a leader. Fact of the matter is, if you're a friend joining us today and you're not actually a follower of Jesus, or maybe you're not sure or you're deliberating, let me tell you this even if you're not following Jesus, you'd be surprised how much of a leader you are, or you might be anyway. Maybe you know it. Maybe you work in a position where you lead people as a manager or a supervisor. Maybe you're influential because you're a teacher or because you are a trainer in your workplace. Maybe you're influential because you're a parent. And in that mode, even though you may not be a follower of Jesus, you have people following you. We're all leaders somewhere. But in the call of Christ to come and follow him, to lay down our lives in order to live out his, there is a call to lead others to him. When Jesus, after he had died for us and rose again and was preparing to ascend to the Father and in that preparing also to come back, even as Pastor Angie was talking about earlier, we live in the recognition and readiness that Jesus could come back today even if he doesn't come back for 100 years or 100 million years. We live in the reality that we have an accountability to Jesus because he's given his life for us and we've given our lives to him and we are following him. And so when we follow him, he says to us, do this. Do as I have done. Remember me and give my testimony. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost baptizing them in water, inviting the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and leading people to the Lord. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Not only a disciple, but also a discipler, a disciple maker. The Levites were leaders in Israel because they were a tribe that were set apart for God. God said, you'll be my special possession. Among all the tribes of Israel, you'll be a special possession of mine. Remember that Israel is God's special possession. God said, among all the nations of the world, you, Israel, will be my special nation. So you see that there are these sort of increasing concentric circles of embrace from the Lord. The Lord carves out a people for himself. And the Lord himself says in his word that people, Israel, they're not the most impressive. They're not the most powerful. They're not the most numerous. In fact, it's really rather the opposite. They're small. They're not... not well-known, they're not well-resourced. In fact, it starts with a single man, first named Abram, but God calls him Abraham. And he has a son, Isaac, and that son was a promise. He has him in his old age, and even more impressively, his wife has him in her old age, far past the time of child-rearing. And yet, God who promised is faithful. A son is born to them. And from that son, Isaac, comes Jacob. Now, Jacob followed the Lord. He was a man of many failings and problems. His very name, Jacob, means heel grabber. And it's a euphemism, a a, a colloquialism in their society, in those ancient uh, Near Eastern culture. It means trickster, deceiver, con man. The guy was named as a con man, and he lived a large part of his early life in that manner, trying to get what he could get, trying to use the truth in creative ways, shall we say. He lied and deceived, even as he was lied to and deceived by others. But in his heart, he had faith. In his life, he had the Lord, and the Lord led him. The Lord led him actually to a crossroads. You can read about it in Genesis 32. A time of crisis in Jacob's life. When he thinks he's about to lose everything. Maybe even his very life itself. I won't go into the story, but those of you who are familiar with it or have been part of the congregation long enough to remember, I preached on this in a long series some years ago. There's a moment of encounter between Jacob and one called the angel of the Lord. Like a man, but it's God. John chapter 1 tells us that no one has seen God at any time, but that the Son has manifested him to us. In other words, Jesus Christ is the incarnation of God, human and God, fully human, fully divine. I suggest to you that it's a Christophany in Genesis 32, that it is Christ that Jacob is wrestling with. And they wrestle till the breaking of the dawn. And what comes out of that wrestling is Jacob gets a new name and a new role and a new wound because we are told that he wins the match in the most interesting of ways by having his hip put out of joint by the stronger man, which is the angel of the Lord, which I would say is Christ. And yet Jacob is holding on to him and says, I won't release you until you bless me. That isn't Jacob being greedy. That's Jacob being faithful. It's Jacob realizing that you have not because you ask not, but that if you will ask and seek and knock, on the door of the Lord, you will receive from the hand of God what he desires to give and what he desires to give, brothers and sisters, dear friend, is life, is love, is blessing. And so he gives Jacob a new name, Israel. Instead of being called conman, deceiver and heel grabber, I call you, says the Lord, Prince with me, one who wrestles with God and sustains. Are you wrestling with God today? Do you feel that you're at a crossroads of crisis? Then say this to the Lord I'm going to cling to you. I won't let go of you until you bless me. And you know how He wants to bless you? By answering all of the prayers that you and I just prayed, by giving you wisdom, by showing you where you're wrong and helping you to be right. And sometimes it's going to feel like a wound. Sometimes it's going to look like bloodshed for you in your spirit. Sometimes it's going to feel like God is going to be violent with you. But you need to know this. Your Father in heaven loves you. Jesus Christ is the evidence of that love. Let the Lord do whatever surgery he needs to do. Let him rename you according to his ways. So that you can experience the blessing of God, which enables you to be a blessing. Because out of Jacob came 12 sons. Out of Israel came 12 tribes. And the third of those was a boy named Levi. Now Levi, as I mentioned, being third is high in the ranks. Because in those days, those ancient days, birth order was primary to social standing. The family was the elemental unit of society. Frankly, it still is, which may account for why our society is in such trouble, because we have not done right by families. But that's another point, or at least it's a peripheral one. Levi has a privileged place in his family, but Levi is a man of passion. He grows up, to be a rather reckless man, as many of his brothers do. You know the story well that Joseph, who is a favored son, there was issues of favoritism in this family going back to the beginning which were problematic and created all kinds of stress. This will be a fundamental um, recognition of today's message. People are problematic. People create problems in families, in cultures, in societies. It's people that are the problem makers in large part. But people are also precious. So there's strife and tension in the family of Jacob, in the the early nation of Israel, that at that time is just these 12 boys and at least one sister named Dinah that we'll talk about in a moment. But with Joseph, there is a rejection of Joseph by the other brothers because of the favoritism of the father. And Levi is part of that. And Levi, like the other brothers, will have to account for the actions and choices in which he engaged. But there's another moment when Levi does something rash and unwise, and yet it's very understandable to us. Levi and his older brother Reuben, the firstborn, who, as the firstborn of Jacob's sons, should have been the one that received the lion's share of the inheritance, should have been the one of highest honor, why isn't he? When we look at the map in just a few minutes of, of ancient Israel once again, when we move forward in five or six hundred years to the time of Joshua, from where I'm talking about now, we're going to see that Reuben, in fact, is a small tribe with a very small portion in the land of Israel. Simeon, likewise, um, also among those uh, of the first set born and also among those involved in this... Uh, um, this bad behavior that we're going to discuss in a moment, also it receives a lesser portion. And we see that Simeon as a tribe actually rather dissipates in the land over time. Why is there this legacy for these tribal brothers and their offspring who should have had favored places when younger brothers like Judah and Joseph and Benjamin and the sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh, why did they receive such large blessings, what we can see is that there is a result of faith or faithlessness that bears out generation upon generation. What is it that Reuben and uh, and, and uh, Levi, Simeon did that created uh, such disappointment for Israel, for Jacob? Their sister Dinah was embroiled in a relationship with a Canaanite man. This is during the time when the family of Abraham were a ranching family of shepherds and nomadic primarily. He owned land and had land, but they were often moving around and they often had strife because you may remember that Abraham, Abram, came from a completely different land. He had followed the call of the Lord all the way to this different land of Canaan. And so there were people living in Canaan, the Canaanites, that looked on him as a foreigner. Maybe you know what that feels like. I know many of you do know what it's like to live in a land that you weren't born in and to experience the distinction and difference that that involves. And it can be very difficult feeling like a stranger in a strange land. Oddly enough, the Word of the Lord reminds us, even in the New Testament, looking back to the Old, in the book of Hebrews, we're reminded that to be a follower of Jesus is to feel like a stranger. In this world, because the ways and things of this world are often at odds with us, and yet, it is God's purpose for us to be witnesses for Him in this land to lead others to Him, and to do that means that we need to lead with love and righteousness, and not out of our own passions and vengeances. But in this circumstance, Dinah, the daughter of Abraham, excuse me, of uh, Israel was involved with a Canaanite man who misused her and, frankly, raped her. Now, anyone can understand that in the face of such a disgusting and despicable crime, a brother would be eager to avenge his sister. And, frankly, one needn't even have a sister to feel that same sort of wrath and that same sort of hunger for justice and an absolute aversion to the injustice that was wrought upon Dinah. But the Lord has said, vengeance is mine. The Lord has said that justice is vested in him. And it certainly was not the Lord's intent that Reuben and and Levi and the sons of, of Israel should do nothing. But what they did do was not to consult with the Lord, not to consult with their father, to actually disobey the guidance of their father and to ignore the leadership of the Spirit and instead to go and utilize One of the covenant signs and sacraments, if you will, of their familial relationship with God. God had said, I make a promise to you, I make a covenant with you, and the sign of the covenant will be circumcision. In other words, the removal of the male foreskin, which obviously renders the recipient of that ceremony um, to be uh, laid up for a day or two. They're going to be recuperating after something like that. So Levi and his brothers took that sacred covenant and used it not like Israel, but like Jacob. In other words, not to administer the love of the Lord to people and draw them into him, but to use it as a deception to take advantage of people so that they could have their way and will over them. They had all the men of that region circumcised in order for that man who had raped Dinah to be married to their sister, supposedly. But it was a lie. What they were really doing was getting all of the men of that area incapacitated so that they could go in and slaughter them all. It isn't even the slaughtering that is so much an offense to God. That might be difficult for you and I to understand, but when you look at the book of Joshua as we've been going through it, you see that there are battles and victories ordained by the Lord. The problem is that they went out on their own and tried to make things right according to their own wisdom and they used the things of God in a way that brought bloodshed that God had not ordained. There's a message for us today. No matter how wrong the wrongs you see are, no matter how close to home they may come, it is not your place or mine to determine how to impose righteousness on the land because we ourselves are the author of wrongs. We ourselves are sinners. Does that mean we turn a blind eye to injustice? No, it means we call upon the Lord and live according to His way. There are times when He will call us to stand up against that which is wrong and to stand down when He calls us to to be like the suffering servant that Jesus Christ was in the face of his enemies, and turn the other cheek. But what we need to know is we must be guided by the Spirit of the Lord. We must be governed by the Word of the Lord. We must be interested in the will of the Lord above all. It was primarily this action that caused Israel on his deathbed to speak prophetically towards the end of the book of Genesis and indicate that Levi would not receive an inheritance like his brother's. The lack of land for Levi is not so much a punishment of God, but a result of Levi's rashness and wrongdoing. The things that you and I do that are not of God, those are seeds. If they're not seeds of the Spirit of the Lord, they're seeds of carnality, the ways of the world. And no matter how right they may look to us, They bear the fruit of wickedness and result in loss. But God is good because, once again, God looks for where there is weakness and he says, in your weakness, I will show myself strong. He chooses Levi, that tribe, to be his minister's. Because who better to offer the sacrifice of blood than the family that knows how wrong bloodshed can be when it is not done at the table of the Lord? How wrong righteousness can turn out when it is not done according to the guidance of God? These are a good people for God to use to show that what He is seeking is not the most righteous person, but the most willing heart. And oddly enough, it's the heart that says, I know I've been wrong. It's the heart that knows I don't deserve the goodness of God that is most likely to receive the wisdom of the Lord and the grace poured out for us. There's land for the Levites, Because God himself has said elsewhere in the scriptures, I will be your inheritance. In other words, God says to the tribe of Levi, you don't have an inheritance because of the wrong you've done, but because of my love for you and my will to use you to show that love to others, I will be your inheritance. You'll receive something even more, even though you deserved to receive nothing at all or only that which would come as a curse, I will be a blessing to you. There's a wound for Levi, a loss that comes. But out of that wound, a womb that bears life, a legacy to lead people in the things of the Lord. The whole book of Joshua is focused on living our lives in such a way that we face the hardship of the wrongs that we've done behind us. The Moses generation that Joshua and his His generation were brought out of, and the wrong in front of us, the wickedness of the land that they were called to enter into. And even though all of that would cause fear to rise in our hearts, the command of the Lord is don't be afraid because I'm with you. I've chosen you. I've promised something to you, and I won't forsake my covenant or my covenant people. I will cover you. If you will walk in my ways, you'll remain under that covering. When you walk out of the covering, I will allow you to experience the result of your wickedness and it will be a discipline to you to bring you back into the covering of my covenant. But even if you stray, says the Lord, I will stay true. And even when you go wrong, I will do right. And I will enable my faithful people to overcome the opposition that I've called you to face because of your faith in me and my faithfulness to you to make you conquerors in a kingdom. We've seen in the book of Joshua how the tribes have received their lands. Judah, this huge portion in the south. We looked at the sons of Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim, who received large portions in the central and northern regions and even what's called the Transjordan across the river. But notice in that map that there are all 12 tribes receiving some portion of land except for Levi. Now, there was the tabernacle in Shiloh and we've looked at that place where all the nation gathered and convened to hear from the Lord, to receive the allotments that God would designate. And we've also recognized that at the heart of this nation was worship. The tabernacle was a place of worship for the sacrifices to be offered, for the incense to rise. And who was it that was allotted that? Because not just anybody could serve in the presence of the Lord, but only those who who had been called you know we may we may forget in the day and age that we live in because we have come to so value as we rightly should it is it is something of the lord to rightly value the dignity of an individual and the power and and preciousness of liberty and freedom on this labor day weekend we remember that all people in society have value that that no matter what our economic status, no matter what our access to resource, all of us are part of the engine of human life that crafts the flow of society. That from every worker to every leader, every person is made in the image of God and is of infinite value in the heart of God. And we recognize in our culture, perhaps especially here in the United States, that every person is equal in the eyes of God in terms of their innate human value. But it is important for us to recognize the other testimony of the word of the Lord is no one, no one is righteous to come before his holy place, the holy of holies. The, the Kodesh kodesh, the Sanctum Sanctorum, the Holy of holies. No one is worthy to come before God and minister there unless God himself declares them holy, makes them holy. So it was that the tribe of Levi was that people in the ancient days. And so they would minister in the tabernacle, but they couldn't all dwell in that place of Shiloh or Bethel. And so they were to receive cities. Last week we looked at the cities of refuge, which are a part of that That allotment given to Levi. So though they did not have a land of their own, a state of their own, they did have land in terms of property. They had cities that were given over to their dominance. And those cities included the sanctuary cities, where people who had inadvertently shed the blood of another could find peace. Now isn't that interesting when you and I consider that Levi was among those who called for the shedding of blood and engaged in the shedding of blood in a way that wasn't righteous in the eyes of the Lord. And now God takes that and turns it into a sanctuary of peace through his intervention. God turns even bad into good. The Apostle Paul said it this way, so familiar to those who know the scriptures in Romans chapter 8. God works all things together for good to those who love him. Even Joseph, the brother of Levi Said also, what you meant For evil, God used for good The story of the Levitical Cities, the cities of refuge And the rest of the Levitical cities Is a story of God's goodness Turning even wickedness Into righteousness So, you'll remember that we saw How the nation could be essentially Divided into quadrants, and in each quadrant There was a sanctuary Available to them Now In Joshua chapter 21, we hear the list of all the cities, and we're not going to read it because it's a list of city names throughout the regions. But I just want to read a few verses together with you as we come to the conclusion of this message and the time of partaking together of this Holy Sacrament of Communion. The family heads of the Levites approached Eleazar, the high priest, Joshua, the son of Nun, and the other tribal heads at Shiloh, and they said, Remember, the Lord commanded through Moses that we were to get towns. In other words, all the other tribes have received their allotment, and we're just reminding you of the word of the Lord. In Numbers 35, in the era of Moses, during the Moses generation, you can read about it, verse 2. Command the Israelites to give the Levites towns to live in from the inheritance that they will receive, and give them pasture lands around the towns, about uh, a circumference of about 1,500 feet in all directions were pasture land for the Levites to have around those towns. So just as the Lord had commanded, the Israelites did. And they gave the towns. And if you want to read the towns and the regions that they're in, you can do that in Joshua 21. Ultimately, the chapter says in its concluding passages that there are 48 towns in all, including those six cities of refuge, 48 in all with the pasture land surrounding them. The cities of the Levites, the Levitical cities in Joshua's 20, chapters 20 and 21, included the cities of refuge, the sanctuary cities that peppered throughout all the other tribes. And in fact, what you see in this number of 48 is significant. Numbers like names in the word of God is always significant. You'll note that 48 is a multiple of 12, right? It's, uh, it's just like 48 hours is two days, two sets of 24, and each set of 24, two sets of 12. What you see there is a multiplication of the inheritance. There are 12 tribes. In some sense, the tribe of Levite is receiving four times the 12 because they're receiving land all over the nation. They're receiving inheritance. It doesn't eradicate the result of the action of their forebearer. But it does turn that result into something of prosperous fruitfulness and spiritual blessing. And four is also the, comp- the compass points. To the north and the south and the east and the west. I know I did that backwards, but you can alternate it. At least I caught it right. Everywhere you go, there's a city of the Levites. There is a place For these people whose entire raison d'etre, their their reason for being a, a tribe in the nation is to be a holy of the holies. These holy people of God have a holy people within them. And within that holy people, there's a holy ordination to do the work of the temple and the tabernacle services. To minister to the people from the goodness of God. Each of these towns that they were given had the pasture lands around it. So the Lord gave not only the cities, but the place for harvest, the place for fruitfulness, the place for shepherding. Peaceful pastures and the flowing streams of the good shepherd. The Lord gave Israel all the land He had sworn to give them. think To the concluding portions of the book of Joshua, in fact, and most of the land allotment is done now, or actually all of it is done now. What we will see is just some description of tribal interactions next week about an altar named Witness. And then in the concluding weeks of our series, we will look at chapters 23 and 24, Joshua's farewell sermon to the people. But here in this moment, we have something of a summary occurring One at the end of today's message. And it's this, the Lord fulfilled his promises. Now, as I said, this is hundreds of years after the time of Isaac, excuse me, of Jacob and the sons of Israel. So not only do you have the the entire generation of Moses in the wilderness, those 40 years of wandering, and the the 80 years of Moses' life that preceded that, and the 400 years of enslavement on the part of the people of Israel, the children of Israel in Egypt. But then you also have the, the longer uh, lifespans that, that we are told about uh, in, in the book of Genesis. I don't recall precisely what, what Jacob's lifespan was, but I think it's something like 137 years. And so you're talking about centuries that have passed Since the promise was made. Even more if you go all the way back to about uh, probably somewhere around 1800 to 2000 BC is the time of Abraham. And that's when God was saying over and over again. You can look it up in the scriptures. In throughout the books of Moses. Over and over again the Lord says to Abraham. I will give this land that you are sojourning in. This place where you feel like a stranger because you are a stranger. I called you to here to be a leader. I'll give it to you. I'll give you a child and children. I'll give it to your children. Your children will disobey. I will take care of them anyway, even as I've taken care of you, even though you disobeyed too. It's not that disobedience doesn't matter, and it's not that it doesn't bring forth its own harvest, but God is greater than even our sin. Our sin is great, but God's grace is greater, and His promise is trustworthy. He fulfilled his word. It took time. But for the Lord, a thousand years are as a day. And a day as a thousand years. Maybe you say it's been two thousand years since Jesus lived on Earth. If he lived at all, maybe you have that question. Let me assure you, not only did he live, but he still lives. And two thousand years is nothing in the lifespan of our Lord. Because our Lord lives forever. And yet there was a day that he died. Why? Because not one of the Lord's good promises to Israel would fail. And what God promised to Israel was, I will send a redeemer whose shedding of blood will accomplish the remission of sin. I said that the Levites were the holy of holy, but even within the tribal worship and the temple practice, there was a holy, holy place, literally the holy of holies. And only one could enter into that. Not the one on earth, but the one in heaven that it's modeled after. And the one that entered into that place is the one who came to this place to say, you may feel like a stranger in this land and you may even be guilty of sin. In fact, you are but I will wash away your sins and through the sacrifice of my life, I will make you righteous with God and give you an inheritance. Last week I said that in these lessons, there's past practices, present principles, and prophecies for the future. I want you to take the bread and the cup with you as we look at these together. The Levitical cities reveal that God's provision comes to those who will faithfully seek to serve him, even though there's errors in the past. It shouldn't be hard for us to imagine that the the sins of forefathers can travel down hundreds of years and wreak havoc in the lives of their offspring. Four or five hundred years ago, there were people that you and I came from who were involved in their own sins. No matter where they came from, no matter who they were, they were sinners just like we are. And society was sinful then, just as it is today. But the sins of those forefathers still travel down the lines of generation. They echo down the hallways of history. And you and I today, we can experience the result of it. But that is nothing that God cannot overcome. And in fact, that is nothing compared to the weight of sin that you and I bear ourselves for the things we are directly responsible for. It doesn't matter how much someone wronged you, it can't make your wrong right. There's a simple saying, two wrongs don't make a right. But here, in this cup, in this bread, There is one who is right, who took all wrong upon himself in order that you and I could live according to the Lord. We have lasting legacies from our past. Parents, grandparents, who may have done things that disadvantaged us or hurt us. Issues from our own lives our own relationships, what we've done to our children, or they've done to us, our spouses, the way we've operated in the world, the things that we've held in our mind, the things that we've given our bodies over to, the bondages that we've inclined ourselves to, the lies that we've believed, the lies that we've told. We have a lasting legacy of sin buried deep in our hearts and trailing us like blood tracks on the ground. We are red-handed before the Lord. But there is a different legacy for those willing to leave all of that on the table, all of that at the foot of the cross, and say, I believe, Jesus, that your love for me can redeem me out of that sin. Forgive me of my sin, and give me your life. Fill me with your spirit. Show me how to live graciously with forgiveness to those who don't deserve it, patience to those who don't warrant it, kindness to those who are cruel to me, truth to those who deceive, love in the name of the Lord. We have lasting legacies from the past that prevent present righteousness, but God comes to rewrite our world and to rewrite our heart. That heart of stone, he turns to flesh by the breaking of his own flesh and the giving of his own body. You raise this portion before you. Lord, we receive your broken body as healing to ours. We confess our sin. We confess our faith. We believe that your sacrifice is greater than our sin. We give thanks for your sacrifice. And we receive the gift of your body that we would be made whole and one in you today. There's a new legacy for all those who would follow the leader of Jesus and lead others to do the same. And that promise is exactly the promise that was spoken to us before this message began. He's coming back. He's coming for you there's two ways I can say it because there's two ways you can receive it one is he's coming for you and you can't hide you can't argue your way into a right standing with him you cannot excuse yourself you can't argue or debate your way out of it and nothing you do can make you right in his eyes on your own he's coming and his judgment will be with him he will make the world right and anyone not standing in him won't be standing at all but the other way to receive it is this he's coming for you because in fact there's no one going to be standing every knee will bow Every tongue will confess you are Lord. Some will confess it in furious fear, some will confess it with glorious faith. The invitation is now because whether you see him coming in the clouds of glory in this life or not, sooner or later, your time on this earth is done. And let me tell you this it's sooner, not later. Because the lifespan of any human being is grass on the hill, breath in the wind, tears in the rain. All these things pass away. But the love of the Lord will never pass away. And the proof of his love is in the blood that he shed to forgive you of sin and to give you a new legacy, a new life in Him. Won't you receive that? And if you have received it, won't you believe it and live in it? Why are you afraid if the love of the Lord is living in you? Be made well. Be made right. Be given hope. Be free. Lord, we receive this cup of a new covenant, forgiveness, forgiveness, though we like sheep have gone astray you are the good shepherd that leads us back to you we receive your blood and the forgiveness of sins we receive your spirit and we enlist again in the mission to with our lives be a living sacrifice to you that by your spirit and by your grace we would lead others to you amen Hallelujah. Feel the joy of the Lord today. Times may be hard, but God is greater. There may be fearful things over the horizon, but the Lord is coming in glory. And in fact, I tell you, He is already here because He is in us today. We remember that today, and we are remembered in Him. Join us at 7 p.m. on Wednesday via Zoom for our prayer meeting. You can find the login.